This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a show for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope you are encouraged and can take a little something with you from each episode here. Today, you're listening to episode 41, and I'm talking with Stacy Drovedahl. Stacy is the mom of seven. That's right. Seven. She has seven children. She is on a mission to ditch the grocery store and improve the health of their family. Their family packed up, moved across the country, and built their own home. That's right. They built their own home. One of the things I love about this is they had all kinds of different projects along the way that their kids helped do. So their kids got to see their parents do this and helped along the way. I'm always really inspired by parents that have a lot of children, especially a family with seven children. I think that's a lot different than a family with four children like us. Um, I just think these kids have to learn to be self-sufficient from a really young age because there's only so many things one mom or two parents can do for each child when there are seven of them. So I'm always inspired to hear how she helps her kids and how other people with several kids like that help their kids to be self-sufficient. She calls herself the homesteading mama and they grow much of the food that they eat in their home. And I said, what do you do when one of your kids doesn't like what you're having? And she's like, there's really not a lot of wiggle room because with seven of them, I can't be making individual meals. So I got some inspiration out of that as well. Their family has a pumpkin patch and their kids work and help with the pumpkin patch in the fall when people come to visit and purchase pumpkins and they have a maze and all kinds of fun stuff. And I just love the idea of getting your kids to work the land. Stacy gives us some tips on growing your own garden, things to start off with, what's hard, what's easy. And I hope that you get a little inspiration from Stacy like I did. All right, friends, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you leave us a quick rating and review. I know I say that every week, but that is super important when listeners of the show do that. It helps new people find us. And as this show is sort of new still and growing, that is always a huge help. I love this review, Unexpected Favorite. I was a bit hesitant to listen to this podcast, despite loving Lindsay's other productions, because I was nervous about feeling judgment, guilt, about my own parenting. Rest assured, this has quickly become one of my favorites to listen to. Whether doing housework, walking, running, etc., all the guests have great and easy to incorporate advice, and everyone makes the struggles of parenting so relatable. We're all in this together, and this podcast makes it clear no matter what you're struggling with, you are not alone. Yes, Steph K89 is who wrote that. That is why I started this podcast, and that makes me so happy to read. So thank you, Steph. Um, And if you all would be so kind and leave your own rating or review, that would be super helpful. All right, friends, enjoy this conversation with Stacy. Stacy. 
Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, we have Stacy Drovedahl on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Stacy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Stacy, we were just talking about how both of us have lost our voice, and I said, <laughs> mine is from just yelling at my four kids at home, but you actually took 20 kids to a water park yesterday, yes. so tell me about that. So um, my friend and neighbor, she has six kids. I have seven. And so we decided to meet her sister down south. And so we drove down there with our, and I brought an extra. Okay. So, um, yep, we had our kids, met her kids. And between all of us, we had 20 kids that we went into that water park with. And it was a blast. But yeah, I'm a little scratchy voiced now. <laughs> I feel like your reason for scratchy voice is like, I'm just being honest here. I think it's better than my reason. <laughs> Oh, this time, this time. This time. Okay. I'm so curious though. You know, you have seven kids, which is so cool. But like you also have a neighbor with six kids. It's such an anomaly to have so many kids. How did that work out having a neighbor with so many kids? Well, you know, we belong to a church where big families are common. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I'm fortunate enough to have to, you know, be in a community where there is lots of big families. Um, I don't come from a big family. So uh, definitely that support system is really important um, for me to, uh, you know, just learn how you manage and juggle that many kids. So we're going to talk about this because you guys built your house from scratch. But my thought is, did you intentionally find a lot and build a house next to a family you knew? I'm so fascinated by like, I so want to live on just like an urban commune and have like all of my closest friends right next door. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So I should um, backtrack, give you the backstory a little bit. Um, we are originally from Washington state and um, we belong to a church community out there. And um, as my passion for homesteading and like kind of living off the land a little more um, grew and we got the opportunity to relocate. Um, so I decided, or we decided that um we would take this opportunity to move to rural Wisconsin and leave the busyness that was our Washington life behind. And so we did seek out a small community, um, small school, small everything here. And um, we did have a church community here. So we didn't know a single person before we moved here, but we had that church. And so that was where we had built our community. Um, so when we bought our land, no, there was no one near us that we knew. Um, and they just happened to find land by us after we had purchased this. So um, we do have that church community, which um, is, a you know, we know a lot of bigger families around us. But yeah, I love it. I love that they move next to us. Our kids, you know, will go through the woods and Ugh, play out. So great. Hours, and that's just a blast. Yeah, because I so, so many times I'm like, the simplicity of living out in the country seems so peaceful and wonderful, but I would I get so anxious about like not seeing people all the time and things like that because I, I think I thrive on on those human interactions. So like the thought of being out there and having a family close by that they and also the other side note to that is like people for the kids to play with, right? Because like siblings are wonderful, but it's so nice to have another family for your kids to play with. Exactly. Yeah. But in smaller communities, I feel like it's almost easier mm. to find others because everyone's kind of in that same boat mm -hmm. looking for, you know, other families and other kids to be with their children. So I haven't, you know, I haven't experienced um, feeling lonely or like I don't have enough interaction. But like I said, a lot of that comes from our church community here, too. 
Okay, so let's talk about this like homesteading life. I am so intrigued by it and I think it sounds so cool to like grow your own food and kind of live off the labor of of your labor, you know? So when did you first start getting into the homesteading life? Okay, so when I got married, we moved to a small town in Washington and um, I grew up like our idea with veggies was like canned corn or canned green beans, mm. you know, and our, the fruit in our home was like fruit cocktail, you know, mm-hmm. and so, and my mom definitely, she cooked every night, but it was, you know, very from the box. So I wasn't super familiar with from scratch anything, um, you know, she'd make cookies and stuff like yeah. that. So then when I moved to this rural town where there was more of this old fashioned lifestyle was the norm. Um, I remember my neighbor coming over with a can of uh, homemade applesauce and I was a little bit nervous to eat it because I was like, how did she do this? How was the top even sealed? (laughs) It was beyond my comprehension. So I remember eating it and thinking, this is amazing. Like I have never experienced applesauce until now. Mm. So I think that's where it started was just moving into that community of this more old fashioned life and getting to experience home canned food. And my interest just kind of peaked at that point and I grew my first garden. We got backyard chickens, even though we were still in town at that point. And it felt like the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn about it. And then too, the more kids I had, the more I became interested in more like natural living and removing toxins from our home. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, you know, and there's something you truly enjoy your food so much more when you know closely the work that's been put into it. Right. Yes. I really wanted that for my kids too. I wanted them to see that connection. I can clearly remember sitting at the dinner table and asking my mom how they got the corn kernels on the corn cob. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'd never seen corn growing, you know, and um, I just wanted my kids to be able to have that connection. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the applesauce and that was your first like peek into, oh my gosh, I've never experienced applesauce before. Tell me Mm. like, what are the other kinds of homemade items like that that you're like, once you go there, you cannot go back to store-bought? Oh, man, everything. Everything <laughs> is different. It doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, homegrown chicken or home canned applesauce or peaches or everything just tastes better. It's amazing. Yeah, our neighbors had chickens for a while, and so we were the beneficiaries of some of their eggs uh, a couple times a month, and they're just, like, the yolk is just so much more, I guess, rich is the way I would describe it, and I just, it feels so much um, cleaner, for lack of a better term, when we use their eggs. Right. You know, a funny story. So we had gotten or we got backyard chickens. And so we were having our home um, produced eggs. And I then went to the store, we had run out. And so I went to the store and got a dozen eggs from the store, went home and went to cook with them. And I was cracking them into a bowl. And I remember thinking, did I grab a bad one? Like, the, it, was just, <laughs> it just kind of flopped open. Like uh-huh. the yolk was, it just looked like a bad egg. So I cracked another one. And actually, I think I'd gotten two dozen because then I went and got that carton out and started cracking those open. And I was like, oh, my word, (laughs) it's just store-bought eggs. It's just so different. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because the yolk, now that you're mentioning that, 
it kind of like flops. Like it doesn't like this yoke doesn't stay like bit like it just doesn't stay together. I see what you're saying. Yep, exactly. Wow. Okay. Let's go there then. Let's talk about raising chickens. I don't know if any listeners here are into raising chickens or are thinking about raising chickens, but what do we need to know about raising chickens? Oh, chickens are probably the best place to start. They're kind of like your gateway drug to homesteading. <laughs> um, they, you know, I've met too many people who are like, oh, I'd love to get chickens. And, but they never will because they're a little bit nervous about where to start. Or, uh-huh. And I just say, just go get those chicks from the store. <laughs> get a, you know, get a Rubbermaid tote and that will be their, you know, temporary home while they're tiny. Um, if it's not hot out, you need a heat lamp because they need some heat at first, but they're pretty easy to learn alongside of. So you get your chicks, you get your basic things, you know, heat, food, water. Um, we usually use some pine bedding on the bottom and then, you know, as they grow, you'll be like, oh, okay, we need a bigger coop. You know, let's research how to build a coop and you'll do that. And it's just, I don't know, I think it's a pretty easy way to get started with then having, it takes a while for them to produce eggs, about five months. Um, but it's just a, yeah, a great way to get started into that lifestyle. And talk about like having a big family and having to like mass produce meals, like being able to make a bunch of really big omelets with your own eggs. That feels good. Yeah, I think um, that is a huge thing for us. We go through a ton of food, Mm -hmm. especially as my kids are getting older. Like we just reached the point where uh, like a nine by 13 pan of food Mm -hmm. is not enough food. You know, like it's kind of bizarre to hit that point. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it is definitely so right now we're getting about 23 chickens. So we're getting about 20 eggs a day. Wow. And do you use them all? Do you make bread and things like that? Yeah, I try to use them in a lot of things. And actually, I've just been experimenting because even 20 is a lot for us to keep up with. Yeah. So I've actually been experimenting with different ways of preserving eggs, too. So you can freeze them um, like in a muffin tin and put those little frozen discs, if you will, into a freezer bag. Um, And then there's another method of preserving called water glassing. And I'm excited. I have not done that yet, but I'm excited to try it out. Okay. Um, Let's go to the house situation because I know we're like shifting gears here, but I want to hear about building your house from scratch. Like what did you outsource? What did you not outsource? How did you and your husband learn how to build a house? I can't even wrap my head around it. Yes, it was a wild ride. I will tell you that. I do not like to sugarcoat it at all. (laughs) It was definitely a wild ride. So I like to tell people that the biggest thing my husband had ever built before building our house was a chicken coop. Wow. So no construction background, nothing like that. Um, However, I think the reason that it was possible for us, I know the reason it was possible for us, was because in our church community, we had many friends who um, were in that background of construction. Okay. um, Planning. So they were there to help us and, you know, guide us, kind of line us out. And then, you know, we do the next step and be like, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think I do believe it's possible for anybody, even without that experience um, or those handy friends, if they find a mentor. Mm. Um, you know, it could be a general contractor that you even pay to be your mentor and walk you through the steps. So yeah, it was, um, it took us a year to get to the point where we were able to move into our house. 
And then a year later now, where we're at is we're finally closing and um, pretty much the point of finished. So definitely it was worth it, even though there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> but just that um, ability to work together as a family towards this project and be like, oh, my word, we built a house, you know, and we get to live in it now. So. I mean, it's insane. Where did you live while the building process was happening? So when we moved to Wisconsin, well, first we rented for a short bit, and then it was actually almost winter, and we were unable to live in the rental we were in. So all of a sudden, it was like, okay, we have two choices. We can move back to Washington, and there were no rentals, by the way, Mm. so we could not find another rental. We can either move back to Washington or figure something out. So we ended up buying a piece of property that we had had our eye on, but pretty much everyone told us there is no way you're going to get moved onto that property before winter because winters here are extremely harsh. Yeah. Like negative 20, you know, is not uncommon. So um, anyway, long story short, we ended up buying a trailer off a foreclosed trailer park. Um, we got septic plumbing. We ended up getting a short um, bit of warm weather. So we got all of the, you know, electrical and all that stuff in. Anyway, we lived in that trailer for, I believe, two and a half years. Wow. To build. And um, it was a small, like, uh, it was three bedroom, two bath, but it was a tiny little trailer for, you know, all nine of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it made us appreciate our home that much better. So have you sold the trailer? Yes, we did sell the trailer to another family doing the same thing. Oh, cool. Wow, that's so cool. You know, my neighbors, um, a few houses down, actually actually my best friends, they uh, bought a house that had like burned – it had been there had been a fire and the people that lived there decided like this is not a project we want to take on so they moved they bought their house for very cheap and the husband is a is a construction guy he knows all the things so anyway he basically rebuilt that house from the studs up and they bought an rv and they only have two kids so that's a little bit different than six or seven um and um they lived in their rv for over a year in the backyard of that house while he you know, built it from, from the studs up. And I'm like, man, that, even though that was really hard for a lot of different reasons, especially in the winter time when you're not outside as much, we're in Indiana. So not quite as harsh as Wisconsin, but still not nice (laughs) winters. Um, what a cool experience to look back on. And like you said, how much more you appreciate your house now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You definitely look at everything differently. (laughs) And two, just being able to design my own house. You know, I wrote, I made up the floor plan. And as we were building, I could be like, oh, let's move this wall a little bit this way or change things around. So that was a really neat experience too. Um, okay, talk to us about your kids being a part of the building process. How cool that they had the opportunity to take part in building their house. Yeah, I know. I love to look back on the pictures too, because in the, you know, while we were going through it, it was hard to really appreciate things as much. Um, But just looking back at pictures of them, you know, a picture of my son helping put the siding up and he's up on a lift, you know, and they're doing that. And I have, you know, pictures of my little ones, you know, using the pretend tools alongside dad as he's working out in the house. And they all got to, you know, paint their rooms and help with different things throughout the process. And sometimes they weren't always happy about it. Um, (laughs) We had to do some cleanup or, you know, different things that were a little bit of a struggle to get them to participate. But how, you know, good for them to be able to take part in that and have that learn that work ethic, too. 
Yeah, you know, that's that's one of my biggest things as a parent I struggle with. And this sounds so, um, I don't know if the word is like American or privileged or what, but like I just feel like sometimes my kids' life are just, it's just way too easy for them. Like everything's easy, you know, like there's not a struggle in the world for them. And I'm like, you know, it's like sometimes I want to bring on voluntary hardships just, just to bring on voluntary hardships because things are, are so easy. And I know like long-term in life, like they need hardship. Right. What a privileged mind, like life we have. Yeah. I think that's what farming is. Yeah. (laughs) Those voluntary hardships. No, just this simple life. Um, so we have a pumpkin patch and corn maze too. I'm not sure if you knew that, but family farm and that provides a lot of work for them too. I mean, we just got done planting, like 3000 pumpkins. And you know, my kids were out there doing the hard work. And I do think that that is a big reason for choosing this lifestyle too, is that they have, you know, it's not just me making up chores for mm-hmm. them. to. Learn. It's like, no, we need you. Like yes. those pumpkins get planted by themselves. I need your help. So, and two, having a big family provides that as well, because I can't do it all myself. Uh-huh. And I really depend on the other kids to help me, you know, get everything done and make it possible. Yeah. And the big kids have to help with the little kids sometimes. It's just, it is yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. Starting at a very young age. Yeah. I have my older kids and by older, you know, I mean like at the age of four, they can help a one-year-old, you know? Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, they do have to kind of buddy up and help one another. Cause I can't be, you know, in all the places at once. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things about having so many kids is like, they really have to learn to be self-sufficient because you just can't, you're one person, two people if you know, with two parents, but like, you just can't be there for everyone. I oftentimes say, you know, we have four kids and I oftentimes say I aged my, especially, I feel like my number two, he, I feel like he aged up real quick because he was three and a half when I had my my fourth and then there was the almost two-year-old in between so it was just like at three and a half I feel like looking back I was treating him like he was six he's fine though you know right yeah I think we tend to do that you know each time there's a new baby too it's like they seem so much older Uh but yeah I kind of um I had the same experience with my oldest because when we were building the house a lot of the time I had to be up the out at the house but there were still babies to be taken care of Uh uh-huh So my oldest really had to become mom number two for a while. And yeah, she had to take on a lot of responsibility helping care for all those kids. How old is your oldest? My oldest just turned 13. Okay. So at that point, was she, she was 11? Yeah. So between 11 and, you know, 12 going into the house. And is your number two a boy or a girl? Boy. So you know what's amazing is we have had girl, boy, girl all the way down. Really? Yep. Wow. So girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Hey, everybody. A quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. I don't know about you, but when I had kids, my sleep became a little bit of a struggle. And now my youngest is almost three. So we're doing a lot better than we used to, but there's still sleep anxiety that I have. I don't know why. I I struggle with sleep anxiety and I have an answer to my problem. I don't know if it'll be the answer to yours, but I think you should try it. It is the Dream Blend by Beam. It is a nightly blend of 
enhancing vitamins, minerals, and nano CBD that I take every night. I mix it up. I put some hot water on my tea kettle. I mix this up. It's like a warm, healthy take on hot chocolate. And it helps me wind down for the night. And I do think it calms my body down and just relaxes my body. I do that. I take some deep breaths. I've worked hard to master this sleep thing. And even though I go to bed knowing that I probably will be woken up at least one time by somebody, this helps me get to sleep. You all should check it out and know that when you support sponsors of this podcast, you are also supporting this show. Check it out. They also have a great hydration line. My favorite is the recovery blend. There's a probiotic, there's a pre-workout, and there's a recovery blend. That's my favorite, the recovery. It is this like fresh lemon taste. And also I know that I'm replacing all the electrolytes I need in my body after I've had a big workout in. Great products over there. Check them out. BeamTLC.com. Use the code Lindsay15. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 at checkout. And you will get 15% off your order. All right. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Stacy. Um, okay. First of all, I wanted to ask with the pumpkin patch. So when the pumpkins um, come up or however that works, <laughs> I sound so silly. Do you guys have like a p- pumpkin farm? Like do people come buy pumpkins from, from you? Yeah. So we open, we've done this for a few years now. And um, just since we've moved here to Wisconsin, uh, before that I had never successfully grown a pumpkin. Mm. I'll have you know. So <laughs> proves like if you want to try something out if you want to start a farm but you've never been a farmer you know just dive in mm-hmm. that's my that's my mentality but um so we open up in the fall um so we have schools that come here for field trips and then we open to the public as well and then we do like a hayride out to the pumpkin patch and we have a corn maze um with like a game built into the corn maze and we have activities and whatnot so yeah it's just kind of like a fall festival or something like that okay so, i mean so obviously this is like part of your job, then this is like an income source for you. Right. Yeah. And I won't say that it's a big moneymaker. I think the biggest reason that we do it is, you know, for our kids and, um, just having, you know, something to give them to do, like I said, work in the fields and that experience and to customer service, you know, they get to take money and, you know, all those different things. So I think that's our biggest reason for doing it. How cool. That is so, so cool. Okay. Tell us, like, if you want to start a garden, what is, like, a good, simple, like, I'm going to grow four vegetables this year, whatever. Like, what is a good starting place for beginners? I would highly recommend, if someone is completely new to gardening, to start with some pots on your back deck. Okay. And it takes the stress of, like, tilling up a plot or even building a raised bed And lets you kind of experiment without, and you know, there's not much weeding or anything Mm -hmm. like that system. And so you can do cherry tomatoes. You can do a ton of things just in those pots on your back deck. So I think that's a great place to start and kind of experiment with. Um, You know, from there you can, you know, till up a small plot. I know that raised beds are a big thing right now. And I do have a few myself and I think they're great for some things. But I will say... I don't think it's a great place to start 
just because there's a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot of things people don't think about when they create a raised bed system. Um, so I really think that the next step after you've experimented in the pots is just tilling up a small square in your backyard or wherever you have and um, doing some rows of things that your family eats. So, you know, I can't recommend anything in particular because I think it really depends what your goal is with gardening and what your family enjoys eating. So if you're just trying to teach your kids how things grow and you want to see that, you know, experience that from seed to food process, then radishes are a great start because they only take, I think it's like 21, 28 days between there. Um, so it's a quick crop. You know, you plant the seed and they quickly can pull it up and get um, that experience. But then if you're getting more to like where we're at, where we're trying to actually be, become more self-sufficient and raise crops to the point where we don't have to buy them from the store. And they say, you know, that's a whole nother experience where I'm more focusing on things that our family eats a lot of like tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, I'm assuming you do this, like once your vegetables come up and stuff, do you save your own seeds and then use your seeds? I actually don't. Okay. Um, for the most part, I've experimented a little bit with it, but that can, depending on the crop, that can be more difficult than it sounds just because of cross pollination. So okay. a lot of things when they're planted next to each other, you can't just take the seed from that plant okay. and then replant it next year and get the same thing. Okay. So it's something I'd like to learn more about and experiment with, but I haven't done much of. I usually buy my seeds. Okay. I've, I've remember in the past when I've tried to do a garden it's funny, the first year I ever did a small garden, um, for some reason, I did a really good job. And I think it also might have just been, we had really great weather for it. <laughs> um, but I had like all kinds of zucchini and greens and and uh, tomatoes and peppers and jalapenos. Like, you know, I did a lot of basic stuff, but like I couldn't believe the the fruits of my labor. Like I couldn't believe how much came up and it kept growing and then I've never been able to recreate <laughs> what I did that first year so then a couple of years ago um, I just gave up but I remember when I did that one garden reading up on like plant this next to this and you know to like grow better so what are things that you plant next to each other to help growth you know I am not super good so I have the book carrots love tomatoes right okay I companion planting and there's probably some things I do just from experience now that I don't even really think about much um, but I think that it can become overcomplicated mm. and I think that that's where a lot of people actually get hung up including myself like I'm a type a perfectionist and if I got too into companion planting or trying to figure out exactly what should go where um, I would probably not garden <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um, I do think that there's some things that like smaller crops and quick crops like radishes can be um, put, you know, under the leaves of something that's going to grow bigger. And, you know, there's things like that that I do, but not so much like I plant, um, you know, this plant next to this plant to get rid of this pest or whatever. I, I'm not super good at that, I have to say. So um, one thing I do, I have learned to incorporate into my garden is a lot of marigolds um, because they do help um, deter different pests. But yeah, other than that, I just, I do draw it out um, the year before. I don't always stick to my drawing, um, but it gives me something during the winter to do and plan ahead for. 
And then I'm more focused on the use of the space and also like how big the crap is going to get and allowing myself room and airflow. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting too, because you live in Wisconsin. So, and you're, I know you're working towards like self-sufficiency as far as like not having to really even go to the store much. So what does winter look like? Oh, the, our first winter here, I was like, okay, I'm ready for it. And I don't <laughs> prepared myself for it. Um, I love winter, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why we love it here. People who do not like snow and ice would not enjoy living here. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, we pretty much have snow on the ground from late October through, uh, depending on the year, um, definitely March, sometimes April. Wow. So it's definitely a long, cold winter. Um, there's usually a stretch that's, you know, in the negative 20, negative teen range. Um, but for the most part, I'd say our averages are the teens throughout the winter. And um, depending on the year, even since we've been here, it's been different every year. But, um, you know, we can get several feet of snow here. So there's a lot of winter sports, a lot of outdoor ice skating. And, um, yeah, it's just a blast for kids. In Washington, I struggle to get my kids outside in the winter because there's a lot of rain and Mm -hmm. it's just kind of damn cold. Where here we have a dry cold, which is very hard to describe. Um, But maybe you're more familiar with it where you live. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just, it's easier for kids to be outside enjoying the winter weather, actually. Yeah, like snow on the ground in in colder weather is way better than rain and it being like 40. Right, yes. That, yeah, 34 and raining is just a yeah. miserable cold. But yeah, I try to tell people it's not that like bone chilling. It's more of like if you went out and you were uncovered, you'd feel pain before you felt that like chilly, like miserable chilly down to the bone feeling. So yeah, it's kind of hard to describe to people who haven't experienced it. But I definitely enjoy winters here a lot more that we can be, you know, outside doing different winter sports and just enjoying it. We are actually moving to North Carolina. So we're moving to a little bit warmer than where we are in Indiana. But I do feel that you just enjoy the seasons more and you enjoy the the summer more when you've endured a long winter. Appreciate it, I guess. Yeah, we are actually where we live. We're up by Lake Superior. And, um, you know, my friends who don't live here, I try to tell them we spend because I'm always sending pictures and whatnot. And they're like, wow, you spend a lot of time at the beach, you know, and we we do. But I feel like we have to soak in that sunshine and make the best of it because our summers are short. And then our winters are harsh. So definitely we take advantage of all the seasons. And um, definitely during the summer, we are soaking up that sunshine at the beach. (laughs) Okay. One of the recipes I saw on your Instagram was homemade gummy bears. And I'm like, ooh, that would be such a hit for almost any family. And I assume you could maybe include your kids in making it. So tell us how you make those. Oh, yeah. So I I don't have the exact recipe in front of me. But if if people want the exact measurements, I have a YouTube channel. Okay. And that is on there and you can watch the tutorial. But just briefly, I'll tell you that it's very easy. Um, I just for fun, I bought like the gummy bear molds. So they're they're homemade fruit snacks is what I call them. But um, I bought the gummy bear molds just off of Amazon. But in reality, you can use anything as a mold. 
And it's basically like a jello mixture. So it's just fruit juice, gelatin, and a sweetener. We did honey. And then you just bring it to the point. It's kind of like making jello, but with a little bit more gelatin. So it hardens up a bit more. And so you just put it into your mold or whatever you have, chill it. And then, yeah, especially if they're in those little gummy bear molds, you can just pop them right out. Kids love them way healthier than the store-bought um, fruit snacks. You know, there's hardly even any fruit in the fruit snacks right. that you can store. <laughs> and it's a fun too. Yes, my kids um, can do it with me. Um, they enjoy, you know, popping them out of the molds or even putting them, putting the mixture into the molds. So yeah, it's a great fun snack for kids. Okay. And we'll link to that in the, um, YouTube video in the show notes. Okay. Now I'm looking at your pantry and I'm like, oh my gosh, please come do that to my pantry. (laughs) Um, where did you get your, your, racks that hold your can your canned goods okay so i'm embarrassed to ask but which pantry i'm guessing you mean by the racks you mean my downstairs cellar must be yeah yeah with the it has like beans fruit coconut it has them labeled yep okay so i have um a pantry upstairs in my kitchen okay and um so like i built that shelving in there and then i got my um organizers off of Amazon and Ikea in there. And then downstairs I have, um, just your standard wire racks that I bought and, um, organized the rest of my food down there. So I, for my labels, I use a Cricut. Okay. And old style Cricut. You don't need state of the art to do labels. And that's been fun. And then, yeah, most of my supplies off Amazon or Ikea. Um, yeah, because I have looked, I have like, bought different organization things for my pantry and I have embarrassingly spent way too much money like buying home edit stuff and it's just so so marked up but these racks that you have for your canned goods look really good and organized it's I know it's such a silly thing but you do feel so much more organized and I feel like your brain is in such a better space to like plan meals when your food is like organized nicely (laughs) For sure. Yeah, it definitely, when things are chaotic or they're not organized well, I feel overwhelmed and anxiety comes on strong. So just that organization for me helps like, yeah, calm my brain and lets me think things through better. So I really enjoy organization. Um, It's a little bit therapeutic for me, Mm -hmm. I think. and also just helps our life, especially with a big family, um, go more smoothly. Where do you buy your things in bulk? Like, 50 pounds of oats azure standard i have purchased from um, a place called azure standard for many years even back when i only had a few children and i have just had such a good experience with them i actually have a few youtube videos that explain azure and how it works for those who are unfamiliar but basically it's like a health food store that travels to you so they're based Yeah, they're based out of Oregon. So when we're in Washington, you know, they were actually local. Now they actually travel a bit to get here. But basically, you order online or you can order through a catalog. And you meet a truck at what's called like a drop point. And um, they show up with all of your stuff in their big truck. You unload it into your vehicle and take it home. So it's an easy and affordable way to buy things in bulk, especially when you're talking about things like buying 50 pounds of flour Um, that can be very expensive to ship. 
So you're saving a lot there just even on the shipping because you're sharing that expense with everybody else. Wow, I've never heard of this place. Okay, I have a family with four kids. So like what things are you like, these are the things you should definitely buy in bulk? Okay, so I should tell you too that Azure, you do not have to buy in bulk. Okay. You can buy quantities. So it's for everyone. It's not just for big families who are buying 50 pound bags of flour. (laughs) Um, I definitely take advantage of that opportunity, but there are plenty of families who buy the small quantities. Okay. And um, I like to though stock up on the basics, you know, for me having that, you know, 50 pound bag of flour, 50 pounds of sugar and the basics just feels good to have in my home and know that I have that, you know, no matter what happens or even if it's just a life you know, something comes up in life where we have, you know, less money or availability to get to the store, what have you. Um, It just feels good to have that stocked up a little bit. So Azure has such a wide range of things you can purchase. Everything from like plant starts for your garden to, let's see, supplements to all the healthy food you can think of. So they have a big selection. I definitely recommend that people check them out. I am so excited to check them out. I had I thought you were going to say, I don't know, Costco. I don't know. I, I had no idea you were going to bring this like brand new to me company that I'd never heard of. That's very exciting. So Costco, yeah, just my two cents on that. We used to shop at Costco back when we had a few children. And I love Costco for the experience. Um, <laughs> someone told me it's like Disneyland for adults. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you go in for chips and bread and you come out with a couch. Oh, yeah. So, it's uh, to me, I spent, I spent so much money when we went to Costco. Um, and I don't know if it was just a lot of processed foods that we wouldn't normally buy because, you know, you can buy a bag of 50 chips, you know, bags oh, yeah. of chips, what have you. Um, but I, it just didn't work well for our family and our family size. We would go through those prepackaged things so quickly. And at the end of the day, I didn't feel like it was really helping us um, be healthier. So Azure is, um, more for the from scratch lifestyle rather than, you know, Costco's more the prepackaged stuff. What are like your easy go-to snacks for your kids? I feel like my kids eat all day long, like even between breakfast, lunch, and dinner, like they're just hungry all the time. And we do a lot of like lar bars and, and kids cliff bars and things like that. But what are your kids like go-to, like they need like a good, good high caloric snack to get to, to dinner time type food. Right. So, and I think part of this is just being a big family, but we don't do too many snacks. Okay. Um, expected to, you know, fill their bellies at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I don't put a cap on how much they can eat at those points. Uh-huh. So, and then we usually have one snack in the afternoon um, to get them by till dinner. That's more of a formal, okay, here's your snack. Okay. And a lot of the time, we also do Laura bars, but we do homemade. Um, so I just have a quick and easy recipe. Actually, I can tell you it's just um, a cup of dates, okay, pitted dates, and um, two cups of, I have to remember, two cups of nuts. I just do it. And then some chocolate chips that we put in there and a little vanilla, and we just put it in a food processor. And so that's our homemade Laura bars. That's like literally the only ingredients in Lara bars. So that makes sense. Do you think it is cheaper to make them that way? Oh, yeah, I, I do. Because I buy the ingredients in bulk. Okay. And, um, you know, we can make quite a few with that batch. So, um, yeah, I definitely think it's cheaper than, you know, paying 
for each individual wrapped bar for each of these kids. But also snack wise, we do have, um, we always have apples and oranges mm-hmm. in our fridge. And so they kind of are, they know that they can always go get an apple or an orange if they're hungry. Yeah. And that's kind of like our free snack is mm-hmm. those fruits. And um, other than that, and sometimes I give free choice on the um, cheese sticks. So that's another thing that we do buy and have available for them. And I do buy them now, but that is actually something I'm planning to start making. Nice. mozzarella actually pretty easy to make and you know it's just a a matter of doing it and having it prepared so yeah I apples bananas and cheese sticks are my three like if there's nothing like easy to grab or whatever I'm like or or we have an hour and a half to dinner and it hasn't you know I'm like these are the things you can have the apple banana cheese stick or pear um and I'm like, and, and don't tell me that won't help because I know that that will raise your blood sugar up and, and get you to dinner time. Right. And a lot of the time when they say they're hungry, they're not, they're tired or bored. Or thirsty. Yeah. I think I've just learned that, you know, they're not starving to death. They will make it to dinner. And, you know, sometimes they've been super active and they're hungry. And if they are, then that cheese stick or fruit will tie them over just fine. But usually when they turn it down, it's like, okay, you're not really hungry. You're just looking for something to do or for some sweets. (laughs) Totally. If you were that hungry, an apple would suffice. I know it's like one of those things. And once they get older, you're not in this mode as much. But like, you know, when there's nothing scarier, I said, than like a hangry three-year-old, like, there's moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, they need food in their body right now or they are going to explode. But a little kid that's a little bit bigger can control themselves a little bit more so I don't get as paranoid. Yeah. And I think when I had um, more little kids, I did more snacks. And now as my kids get older, my younger kids just learn the norm now is less snacks. So I think it's actually easier when you have those bigger kids as the example um, but I used to do a lot of dips too, like apples and dip, you mm. know, whether it was a peanut butter dip or a cream cheese dip or something like that. So that helps tide them over too. If I do those, you know, fruit with a dip. Yeah. I find that too. Like if I just, if I have the healthy stuff out and I'm like, this is your option and there's nothing else available in that moment, they're going to eat that over the chips or whatever it is first. And that makes me feel so much better. So like after school, I'll try to cut up a bunch of carrots and have ranch and then also maybe have pita and hummus instead of like goldfish sitting out, you know? Right. I know so many people have told me, oh, my kids would never eat, you know, healthy snacks like that. And I think it's a little bit funny because I'm like, well, they would if they didn't have any other options. (laughs) You know, you're in charge. I know. if you don't fill your house with those things, then, you know, they will eat the other things. They won't starve themselves. I and I really do struggle with getting my kids to eat the same, like, dinners that my husband and I eat. And we eat pretty, like, um, plant-based, like, almost close to vegan, especially at dinner time. And so, like, I, I get it. Like, it's – I feel like we're making these meals that are, like – they have these, like, interesting, different, like, cumin, really strong cumin flavors and stuff like that. And so I'm, like – I get why my like four-year-old doesn't like the flavor of cumin, you know? Um, But I, my standard thing, and I know that this is like a lot of people would say, especially with big families, like you're eating what we're having for dinner. I'm just like, if you don't want the option, your option is peanut butter sandwich and that's it. Like that's, that is the only other option. And you know, it works. Like my four-year-old eats peanut butter sandwich most nights while we eat something else. And it is what it is. Right. Yeah. You kind of do have to pick your battles to an extent. 
Um, but I, I've never been one and maybe it's just my kids because I know there are some parents who tell me if I didn't force my kids to eat, they would starve themselves. Like they make themselves sick. And so I think every kid is really different and I just don't have that problem, but I have never forced food. Like I've never been that parent that's like, you're going to sit here until every bite is off this plate, you know? And yeah, maybe it's just the nature of my children or maybe it's just having a big family. I've just felt like I can't do that for every kid. No. And they will adapt. They'll learn to eat what's in front of them. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, the biggest fear is like, are they going to wake up at midnight and tell me they're hungry? <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. usually too, I'm if my kids don't eat dinner, I'm like, you can have a glass of milk and that'll, you know, at the end of the night and that'll fill you up. There's your calories right there. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't have picky kids. And I think maybe that I just a little bit got lucky. Um, I do have one child that doesn't like the texture of potatoes. And for the most part, I don't cater to my kids like, you know, wants or whatnot um, or their preferences. I just cook what works for us. But um, in that circumstance, like I know he's always been funny about potatoes. He doesn't like the texture. And so I will usually offer him, you know, a different food or a different option because um, I can understand that like that we all have something that we just you know doesn't sit right with us yeah and, and it's like a, clearly a sensory thing he doesn't like it's like that's how I feel about coconut I'm like I can't do coconut shreds or it just like I don't know something about it makes me like gives me the shivers <laughs> right. yeah and I do think with those sensory things sometimes you can't really just overcome that you know so I I've tried to been I've tried to be sensitive to that um, but as far as like just the, oh, I'm not going to eat the broccoli. Well, that's, that's what's for dinner. So yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. eat it or not, but you're going to be hungry if you don't. So, um, okay. Well, this has been really great and I'm super excited to link your YouTube in the show notes, um, so that people can learn some tips on like how to make those fun fruit snacks and things like that. And just learn from, from the lifestyle that you guys have chosen, um, Tell me, what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, our goal is to hit that 80%, um, growing 80% of our own food on our farm. Cool. So that's a big goal for us. And, um, you know, we'll see if we hit it. But I love the process of working towards that. So I love that. That's so cool. Do you guys do farmer's markets? Like, do you make an abundance and sell? We don't. Um, honestly, with our family size, yeah, I never, I don't know that we'd ever grow so much that we'd have extra because I also enjoy canning and preserving. Okay. So if we ever get to the point where we have, you know, a ton of something, I just can and preserve it. Yeah. I mean, you got to get through those winters. Right. Yep. Exactly. What's your best tip on canning? Oh, uh, learn a lot first. <laughs> okay. Um, it's... It's harder than it looked um, just because it's kind of a speed thing at, at times. Like you have to do it all at one time. You know, you can't take five minutes and be like, okay, how do I do this step? So just watch YouTube videos, read books on what you're trying to can and, you know, watch it completely done from start to finish and then give it a whirl. Okay. So opposite of the chickens, just buy the chickens, but with canning, learn. Learn as you go. Canning, watch it from start to finish first. Okay. Got it. Um, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Oh, I just read a book by Angela Braniff, um, called Love Without Borders. And it's, it's an auto, her autobiography that tells about her journey to becoming the mom of many children through many different avenues, including international adoption, 
birth and birth after embryo adoption. Um, the book was such a huge eye opener to me about adoption and just wonderful, positive messages throughout it. So yeah, I highly recommend it to all moms. Oh, that sounds so good. Is adoption something your family is interested in? You know, at this point, it's not something we're actively pursuing, but, um, you know, my heart is open to it. So we'll just see what the future holds. Very cool. What is a kid's book you recommend? Oh, I love the Mrs. Piggle Wiggle books by Betty McDonald. And they are um, just have a lot of topics in them that are good starting points for conversation with your kids about different morals and like work ethic and just different things. So yeah, I definitely recommend them as a read aloud for all ages. I think they're geared towards like six to nine, but okay. I think they're great for all ages. Yeah. Man, the th- problem with this podcast is I seriously get so many good book recommendations, both for like me and my kids that I'm like constantly hopping on Amazon and getting books like immediately because I don't want to forget about it, even though I put them in the show notes and both of your suggestions sound so good. Yeah. Yes. They're both definitely favorites here. Um, Okay. What is your last message that you'd like to share with our audience today? I guess if I could leave the audience with one message, it would be to stop waiting for the perfect moment or the perfect situation to live your dreams. You know, for us, it was homesteading. For you, it may be something else. Planning ahead is great, but don't let preparation be your roadblock to execution. I love that. Somebody needed to hear that today. That's so good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Stacy, for sharing your story. You can find Stacy on Instagram and learn all about what she's doing when you go to the From Scratch Farmhouse. And definitely check out her YouTube channel. She's got some great tutorials on there. You can find this podcast on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling? You can find me. That's me, Lindsay, Mommy. <laughs> that's what Sandy was saying. Mommy. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626 over there. I also host the podcast about running where I interview professional and elite runners as well as everyday runners. It's called I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. If you are into this homesteading stuff and a holistic lifestyle, you should definitely check out the Urban Pharmacy Podcast, which is one of the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions Network. That's hosted by Stacey Heine. All right, friends, I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you tuning in every week and know that you are not alone in this journey. If you ever need anything, please reach out. Lindsay at Sandy Boy Productions is my email. I'm serious. Reach out. I will respond and get back to you. And if you have any suggestions for guests on the show, send an email to Emma, Emma at SandyBoyProductions.com. That's my assistant, and she will look into that, and we will decide if we want to book that guest. All right, friends. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?